This is the last message in Let Us Draw Near. Biblical worship and the warming of the soul. Next Sunday we'll start living on earth with a divine nature as we work our way through 2 Peter. And that'll start next Sunday morning. Biblical worship and the warming of the soul. This is part 15. And we've been looking for a number of weeks now the kind of subtitle New Testament worship and the 21st century church. Lifting holy hands with full minds and hearts. Remember the myth. There was a myth I mentioned two Sunday mornings ago. I think I highlighted it last week as well. The myth we're trying to sort of wipe from our minds is that raising hands to the Lord in worship is a charismatic anomaly. It's for people of kind of that denominational background. And if that's true, then we, we don't need it. It might be something that some people do, and it's pleasant enough, I guess. But it isn't all that important. And this practice, like all the practices of worship in the New Testament church, it needs, it needs anchoring somewhere in our scriptures. So last week, we considered the first of, of five scriptural purposes for the raising of hands in worship. It has nothing to do with being charismatic. It has nothing to do with being of a more outgoing temperament. There are scriptural reasons. reasons reason number one was lifting up hands was a pledge, a sign of resolve to obey the will of the Lord. And the text we looked at was Genesis 14, 17 to 23. Genesis 14, 17 to 23. I've got it on a couple slides here. After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Keep going. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, this is before his name changed still, Give me the persons, the enemies, but take the goods, all the spoil. Take the goods for yourself. And Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have, I have lifted my hand to the Lord. God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, Lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. It's an interesting story. The, the lifting up of hands to the Lord is somehow in this incidence a, a presentation of, of the will, a commitment being offered up to the Lord. And the hands are a help to recognize that it's done in God's presence. It's done before the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It's done in dependence on the Lord. So it's an action that that kind of bespeaks my, my determination 
to, to follow up on my words, to not just say things, make promises, have intentions hidden in the heart, things I plan to do, hope to do, would like to do. It's to take it to a different level. It's an action that speaks of my determination to follow through on my invisible intentions. I present, I present my whole being to this. including my physical body, whatever strength I have. We do a lot of things with our hands. I present it all to the fulfilling of the purposes and plans of the Lord. We, we have a problem, all of us. Our wills, at best, are divided and half-baked. They're not easily trained. They're not easily subdued. We are, we are Roman 7 people. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. For I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want. That's what I keep on doing. And all God's people said, yeah. So, so in our Genesis text that I just read, Abraham helps his invisible will with his visible raised hands. That was the first scriptural reason we studied. As in Abraham's case, the, the lifting of hands should call to mind the words the decisions made and uttered in times of worship. We did it this morning. The songs that we sang. Musicians played. Worship teams sang. We all followed. Think about the times where I've sung about the Lordship of Jesus, where I've talked about Him being my all in all and not desiring anything besides Him, recognizing His claim upon my life, vowed faithfulness. That's hard for me to do. I mean, it's easy to say. It's hard to do. The action of lifting hands, it's a little thing, it's an outward thing. And it reminds me of my constant weakness and my constant need to keep commitments made before the Lord. To put my whole being into them. That was first. There are other reasons for lifting up hands in scriptural worship. And I worded that carefully. Not charismatic worship, scriptural worship. Today we're going to look at four more. We won't take as long as we did on the first one last week. So if that was point number one, we'll start now with point number two. The lifting up of hands is an expression of recognition of reliance upon the Lord in the spiritual battles of life. And there's a go-to passage, there's none quite like it, where the lifting of hands is related to dependence on the Lord for strength for the battles of life. The text is Exodus chapter 17. I'm going to read the whole text. 
Exodus 17. I hope you have your Bible with you. We'll start at verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And so Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Remember that staff? The Red Sea parted and all sorts of things happened. And so Joshua, verse 10, did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. And so they took a stone and they put it under him. Sit down, Moses. And he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands. One on one side, one on the other side. And so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book. This is important. Recite it in the years of Joshua. That I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. What a weird story. And yet we know it's important because God says, write this down and and make sure Moses reads it. He's pretty busy right now, uh, Joshua. He's pretty busy. He's fighting people with spears and swords in the valley, and he really can't stop and do a theological study of uplifted hands. But when it's all over... Make sure this is all written down. The hand part. Make sure that's all written down and read it to Joshua. Make sure he remembers this. And I read that, and and the first thing that comes to my mind is, why why wasn't it enough for Moses? I get prayer. Why can't Moses, Aaron, and Hur just be in a prayer room somewhere on their faces before the Lord, praying for Joshua to win the battle? Couldn't God have done it that way? How many say yes? Okay, it's carried. He could have done it that way. Why the, why the lifted hands thing? Why, why was victory down on the battlefield tied so directly not to Moses praying, but to Moses' hands being lifted, first lifted and then actually propped up, Toward heaven. Well, we'll probably never know the full answer for sure. But but it, it seems at least at least we know this. It was very important to God that these leaders, Joshua is the next man coming up in leadership. 
in some visible, rememberable way tie victory in the battles of life to calling out to and dependence on the Lord and, and the, the pointing of their very beings toward heaven. This outward reminder, this outward reminder was needed to keep their inward hearts and thoughts focused on the real arena of the battle. That it didn't just depend on how well Joshua and his soldiers fought. Have you ever, you know, somebody could make a movie of this. And, and, there's, and there's Joshua down there. And, and this, isn't, this isn't, you know, smart bombs and distant warfare. This is a different kind of warfare. This is eyeball to eyeball with swords that cut and stab. And there's Joshua down there, close, arm to arm, physical battle. And it's going well. He sees the enemy fall and he looks up and he, oh, there's Moses. Praise God, slaying the enemy. And then, and then all of a sudden, it's, it's different. And this is Joshua's friend and here's a buddy. Here's a young man. And he sees his soldiers start to fall. And, and he looks up and Moses' hands aren't in the air. And then Moses' hands go up and Joshua looks around and all of a sudden the soldiers start advancing and it's going well and they're winning the battle. This goes on for hours. And eventually you can see Joshua, for goodness sake, somebody put his hands in the air. Right? Joshua can visibly see with the upraised hand. He can see victory comes from depending on the Lord in a way that he couldn't see Moses' invisible prayer. You can't see prayers. The words come out of my mouth and they're invisible. And if you're not close enough to hear the words audibly, there's no witness to it. So this was designed so that there's something Joshua could see, something Joshua could learn. Joshua will have to read about this over and over again. Write this in a memorial. In the ears. You know what that means? Not the eyes, the ears. It's going to be read out loud. We need outward actions to reinforce inward thoughts and intentions. See, this happens repeatedly in the scriptures. This is not a one-time thing. You'll remember we studied this earlier. Why did God command Jehoshaphat to send out the singers and the worshipers in front of the army? Remember to sing praises to his name? Songs don't win battles. Why Why would God tell Joshua to have the people go around the wall for seven days? If you're going to knock the walls down, God could certainly do that. Knock them down, for goodness sake. Seven days. On the seventh day, seven times. And then, and then a shout. Why does God have Joshua tell the people to shout to the Lord on the seventh day 
around the walls of Jericho. Everybody knows singing doesn't win battles for Jehoshaphat and shouting doesn't knock down walls for Joshua. And yet in all those things, God was giving physical instructions, using outward physical actions and gestures to to integrate inward spiritual realities. We are not just souls. We are beings with bodies. And, and, and the body belongs to God as much as the soul. And God cares about it. And he wants it presented to him. As certain, I'm as certain of this as I am of my own name. It is a gigantic mistake to think the church, because we're in the New Testament, that we've moved beyond the need for presenting bodies in worship to the Lord. How do you know that, Pastor Don? Why? Somebody's going to come in the not-too-distant future, and they're going to they're want to tell this church, I've given my heart to the Lord Jesus, and it's my intention to follow him and serve him for the rest of my days. They could do that. They could come and stand right here with a microphone, and they could say, I gave my heart to Jesus. I just want you all to know it. He's changed my life. And uh, this is a very significant night. Tonight, I'm telling you, I'm dying to my old way of life, and I'm going to follow Jesus. And we would say, that's great. Now come on over here. Right here. We're going to fill this up with water. You're going to go in here, and you're going to get soaking wet. What for? Why bother? Can't I just tell you that I'm going to follow Jesus? What is this? Oh, sorry. Now they're on me with that thing. (laughs) And Jesus, this is New Testament. Jesus says, no, nope. That's not anywhere near enough. I don't care about your intentions isolated from the rest of you. I want you to be baptized. And you've got to dry your hair, and you've got to bring a change of clothing. And I wonder how many people are listening to me right now who are finding their lives all gummed up in repeated sin and bondage, who find the presence and power of God distant and kind of academic, all because they mistakenly concluded that, well, baptism is just one of those outward routines of religion, and it's my heart that matters. I don't have to be baptized. Why that physical thing? What about the Lord's Supper? We'll do it tonight. And Jesus commanded his church to remember his death. Remember his death on the cross and the benefits of it. Why, why can't we just kind of, oh, Jesus, I'm so grateful. Let's just sit, church. Let's just sit and think about, think about the cross and think about his death on the cross and all that it means to us. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for your shed blood. And we do that. Thank you for your shed blood and help me as I live my life to take up my cross every day. But I'm so grateful. And we sing, what can wash away my sin? We do all that. Is that enough? And Jesus says, no, 
nope, I want you to remember my death. Here's how I want you to do it. I want you to get some bread, of course we use crackers, and I want you to eat that. Well, what does that have to do with remembering? And then I want you to have a cup, and I want you to drink that. The cup represents my blood. Those little crackers represent my broken body. But I don't want you just thinking it. I want your body involved in it. Do you, do you see where I'm going with this? This is New Testament. This is Bible through and through. So one of the things lifting of hands does is the calling to mind of the commitments I've made to the Lord. I will almost always, it's not a legalistic thing with me, but I will almost always at some point in the communion service, in addition to the partaking of the bread and the wine, I, I will make sure my, my body is freshly presented. This helps me. You didn't just die to save my soul. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. But right now on this earth, this day, these hands, everywhere I go with my feet, everything I read with my eyes, everything I say with my lips, this needs to come right back to you all over again. Psalm 28, 2. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. When I cry to you for help. Don't we do this quite a bit? And then why this? When I, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. All right, point number three. The lifting up of hands is a means of pleasing and blessing the Lord. I mentioned this just quickly. Let me take a little more time with it. Come bless the Lord. All you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands in the holy place. And there it is again. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. This shifts just slightly the emphasis of the first two points of this message. In a very real sense, we are not the focus of these worship passages, this one in particular. Our needs, while graciously and frequently ministered to while we worship, are not the focus of the worship in the sanctuary. So in very plain language, King David marks out the primary reason for lifting up of hands to the Lord. It is lifting up of hands, right there. And here's what he says. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to understand it. Here's what your Bible and every Bible on planet Earth says. God likes it when people lift their hands toward him. Bless the Lord. Lift up your hands in the holy place and bless the Lord. Yeah, but I don't like it. I, I don't care. God likes it. He takes delight in it. So King David marks out this primary reason. Ask yourself this question. Ought that not be enough? Like, should that not settle the issue? Do, do I honestly need some other reason? I know it pleases God, but besides that, why should I raise my hand? 
Do you have a better reason for not raising your hands than this simple reason that God delights in it? Does the fact that it makes me a bit uncomfortable trump the fact that it brings my God delight? It's just ridiculous. It is interesting to note that Solomon, Solomon, David's son, he seems to have remembered the importance of this practice. Years later, at the dedication of the temple, the one David wasn't allowed to build, Solomon did. And they have this dedication service, and here's Solomon at the dedication of the temple. And then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, I love this phrase, and, and spread out his hands toward heaven. Read the whole passage. Who told him to do that? I mean, there were no instructions, no ceremony laid out where he had to do this. Where did Solomon get that idea? Well, somehow he just, he just remembered his dad, that God delights in it, that it strengthens resolve, that it's strength for the battles of life, like Joshua fighting in the valley. And goodness knows he's going to need it. And it's, and it's an automatic thing with him. As the temple is dedicated, it just says he, he spread out his hands before the Lord. Four. The lifting up of hands to the Lord is a sign of the earnestness we bring in confession and repentance of sin and wickedness. Lamentations. I read this, but we didn't talk about it very much in the last message. Lamentations 2, 17 to 19. And here you have, it's a lament, hence the name. God has judged. He has fulfilled his promise to judge his people. The Lord has done what he purposed, 2.17. He has carried out his word which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. Those are frightening words. Their heart cried to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, you can't sleep, arise, cry out in the night. At the beginning of the night watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. I should have moved this slide, shouldn't I? And then this. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. Boy, it's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty passage, but it's a necessary one. I think you can all see that the uh, thought pattern, the mindset that accompanies the lifting of hands to the Lord isn't constant. It's not always the same. In other words, this holy gesture to have meaning, it, it requires 
thought. It requires assessing the, the current need. Is it, is it gratitude and praise? Is it recognition to bring delight to the Lord? Is it the desire of strength for the battles of life? Is it crying out for mercy? Is it the intensifying of intercession and repentance? So it, it isn't just one of those... I don't like even using the phrase. It's not one of those just blitzing out, you know, trancing out. It's not that. It's, it's, it's always done with an awareness of, here's where I am right now. Sometimes it's celebratory. Sometimes it's thankful. Sometimes it's repentant. Sometimes it's joyful. Sometimes it's intensely sorrowful. And, and the mind has to connect with the hands each time so that it has meaning. It's not worship calisthenics. Raised hands deepen the proper use of the mind. Raised hands never bypass or lessen the mind. And so look what's happening here. The prophet in this lament there they are on the dark side now of judgment, receiving, receiving God's wrath. And, and the prophet, lift up your hands to him. Pour, look at this. Pour out your heart like water. This is not a, you know, this is the day. It's not that. There's, here's what's going on. The prophet is urging the people to a depth of petition and repentance that they weren't used to anymore. Did, did you get that? That's what got them into this mess. They got into this mess because after repeated warnings from all sorts of prophets in the Old Testament about their idolatry, their carelessness, their materialism, their immorality, and, and, and they, would, they would not be broken at the words of the prophets. And so God judges them. And in the middle of all this judgment, he says, now, maybe now, maybe now, pour, pour out your hearts. Don't, don't you stop weeping. Give your eyes no rest. Lift your hands for the lives of your children. And so God, God calls them with the raising of hands to a level of repentance that they hadn't been giving thought to for a long time. Boy, that should fit the church. That should fit the church. They were taking something lightly and God wanted the weight of it to rest on them. And any reminder in that direction would be a good thing. It's a balance, but we do need to remember worship isn't always about celebration. It's one form of worship, celebration, that is being renewed in the church. And it's the most prominent because it's the most intensely musical. But it's, but it's, it's not always just the most pleasant form of worship that's required. Celebration is not always the most appropriate or the most necessary. And it can get overworked. 
And so Jeremiah describes a powerful paradox for us to think through. Lift your hands when your heart is heavy. Lift your hands when your soul is desperate. Lift your hands when the battle is the strongest and you feel the weakest. Lift your hands when you're bleeding in your soul for more of God. Five. We're almost done. Lifting hands to the Lord is a sign of surrender and consecration. Psalm 141, verse 2. Speaking to the Lord, the writer says, let my prayer be counted, let my prayer be counted as incense before you. And, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. You see the, which way does incense go when you burn it? And then the lifting of hands. And the lifting of hands, let it, let it be like the evening sacrifice. What beautiful words. Let me tell you what I think David calls to mind in this verse as he lifts his hands to the Lord. First, unlike us, David lived in a day with a morning and an evening sacrifice repeated daily, and they were absolutely essential. So as David, the king, prayed these words, and he taught the people to pray them in their worship, he knew that in just a few hours, a young lamb would be slaughtered just before the sun went down. And then David knew that while he was sleeping, another young lamb would be prepared to be slaughtered first thing in the morning as the sun came up. You get that, by the way. Exodus talks about that. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs, a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight. This just goes on and on and on. Regularly, it says. Now, we don't offer those sacrifices anymore. But somehow, the significance of lifting our hands in the new covenant, lifting our hands to the Lord, it remains the same. So, so David, he says, let when I lift my hands, let it be like that morning and evening sacrifice. So he called to mind the necessity of those sacrifices every time he raised his hands. Okay? So, so every time David raised his hands, he's thinking of God's instruction for that lamb to be slain in the evening and another one in the morning. And so as David lifts his hands, he's thinking of, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I, I, can't, I can't get there on my own. <laughs> Something has to be done about this problem I have. CBC has this cute little, I've seen the commercial, I've never seen the program, but I've seen the commercial where they advertise, uh, I don't know what the show is, and there's, there's a, a, a woman and she's saying, um, she's saying to her friend, maybe you've seen the blurb, um, Christian doesn't matter. Hindu doesn't matter. Muslim doesn't matter. Heart matters. Anybody seen that commercial? 
heart matters. So the idea is, it's just, the religion doesn't matter, it's just the heart. Be loving, be good. And to all that, a Christian, if he's on his toes, ought to say, this is precisely the problem. This heart, it's desperately wicked. If heart matters, if that's true, I need Jesus. Jeremiah 31, the new covenant, and 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 a new heart I will put within you. And, and Islam can't give you that. And Judaism can't give you that. Hinduism can't give you that. Jesus gives you that. So it's true. Heart matters. And so David calls to mind the sacrifices as he raises his hand. And that, that's what I want to do. When we sing, when we sing songs... Uh, some of those great ones Tom's been teaching we do during the communion service and I lift my hands and what's going through in my mind is not, oh boy, am I ever blessed. I, it's usually, I can't even be here were it not for the sacrifice of Jesus and his shed blood. And I just want my hands reaching out for that as a reminder of my need, like clawing after it. Holiness requires mercy. It requires forgiveness. And cleansing comes at a price. There's nothing casual. There's nothing man-made about God's righteousness. And as David lifts his hands toward heaven, he thinks about that little lamb giving up its life as the sun goes down. And he thinks about all the young lambs that have been slain since the days of the tabernacle and the exodus. And that's one of the reasons why the practice of lifting up of hands has such obvious meaning. We who no longer offer lambs every morning and evening still come into this house of worship, still seek mercy, still seek grace. And anything that happens that's good in my heart will be because of the shed blood, the sacrifice, the Lamb of God. So we wrap this up. I don't expect I've changed everybody's worship practices. But I do want you to see that there are scriptural reasons, not just emotional reasons. So Paul says, when you pray as the church, when you come to the throne of God, when you come with petition and intercession, when you come overwhelmed by your sin and your guilt, Lift your hands unto the Lord. Do it without wrath, without doubting. Believe in it. When it's done with understanding, God still longs to see this among his people. But because it's scriptural, not because we're PAOC in our denomination. Everyone said?